And the first night I stayed in that spot and was completely unaware of any issues. I'm sure that snake was there just because I'm pretty sure that's like its spot. And then the second night I was in the same spot and I got up to like take a pee pretty much like right where I was sleeping, which isn't gross at all. But uh, I, I just like felt like a presence or whatever. So I turned on my light and it was just like two feet coiled up, like not aggressive or anything, but just like obviously right the hunting area. So I kind of just like toss some sand at it from a far away and it like scurried off into a bush and I went back to sleep, which I'm surprised <laughs> I, being lazy. And then like, I was like kind of asleep 15, 20 minutes later. I'm like, man, I should check that spot again. I turn my light and it's just right there again. I was like, that's time to move. Speak a little louder. You're listening to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is J-Man, known off-trail as Nick Johnson. He's a first assistant director and self-described van-living hiker person who has completed the John Muir and Pacific Crest Trails. If you hiked the PCT in 2018, you might have seen him in Southern California, where he paid it back by spreading a little trail magic. You can find us at hiking-through.com, through spelled T-H-R-U, of course, where you can find show notes for this episode, photos, and links for any gear mentioned. You can also find us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with J-Man. Hello, Nick. How's it going, Aaron? It's good. How are you doing? Can't complain. How are you doing? Fantastic. I'm so excited to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited, too. I'm a little nervous. I've never been interviewed before, so hopefully it's not too awkward. No worries. You're you're looking much more clean shaven and all put together than on your videos. A little less homeless looking right now. Yeah. Did you did you do the whole not shave, no haircut, nothing for the entire trip or Yeah, and I pretty much started like a couple months before. I was like, I'm gonna go just like full on, you know, feral child looking for the end of this thing. So yeah. Fantastic. I missed that uh I missed the beard and the hair at, at times, but it was um, a little, it's more fun to look homeless on trail amongst trail people than in LA where you're just like, assume that people are just like, oh, that's just another homeless man. <laughs> right. It's more acceptable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I watched all of your videos on YouTube um, and, and saw the journey. It was fun. Did you put those together after you came back or were you kind of putting them together as you went along? Uh, pretty much I put those together during like my zero days or like, uh, Nero days. Anytime I was in town, um, I try to like edit them once a week and just kind of maintain that schedule. And I, I think it helped out just cause I know a lot of people who took like a lot of footage planning to edit it, uh, at the end of it. And then you just have like this whole mountain of footage and you're dealing with like post trail depression. So that only makes it worse. Like I kind of like, uh, I mean, it was definitely, you know, a chore at sometimes to get the editing done, but mm-hmm. I'm definitely glad I did it then when it was fresh in my mind versus like, you know, four months later when I'm like, oh, week one, what the hell was that all about? <laughs> I barely remember week one. Yeah. 
what were you what were you shooting on what were you editing on um i got the um the iphone 7 plus was like pretty brand new at that point so i got like the 256 gigabyte one just like a ton of storage um and then I was able to shoot on that, and then iMovie came on it, so I just used that to edit. So I was able to shoot, edit, and post all from one device, which was definitely nice on trail, like in terms of keeping everything charged and everything. Yeah, it makes it simple. Yeah, and then I think I did like um, I think I used like iCloud storage for backing up my footage, but I'm still in the process of doing like the media management for. Um, the whole trip just because just been sitting on my phone and it's finally full. I'm like, all right, I gotta, I gotta deal with this. So that's a slow going process, but it's been all right. Wow. We're talking over a year later. (laughs) Yeah. Procrastinated that a bit. I'm like, I finally want to shoot some more stuff because, um, I I pretty much didn't shoot it all this year because I was like in a, uh, a car accident in my van. So I'm like in, um, the middle of, you know, solving all that legally. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I just kind of took a break from shooting and I'm like ready to shoot again. I'm like, I have no storage on my phone. So yeah, it's, it's time to finally clear it out. Got it. So I guess to put it into perspective for people who are listening, 2017 was a very bad fire year on the PCT. Going into it, it was more hyped about like the snow. Cause we had all that big yeah. snow at the Sierra's. And a lot of people skipped through or skipped up ahead and yo-yoed back or whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, flip-flopped. But yeah, we got through the Sierras and we thought like it was going to be just a victory lap into Canada. And then Oregon just went up in flames. So yeah, it was, it was pretty, Oregon was kind of a wash for us. We, I, I still need, I've still got a lot of version miles in Oregon to cover. So that's not the worst problem to have though. True, true, true. Now, how bad was the air quality up there, like with all of those fires, I mean, cause you, I mean, you did skipping around, but you also did do a lot of hiking out there. And yeah, it was, um, I mean the first couple days, it wasn't like, or our first fire experience was like kind of cool. It was inside Valley. Like we came around the corner and there was a small fire in the Valley and there was like a big, like plane coming, dropping water and everything. So like, that was like just the air quality was fine. The wind wasn't blowing towards us. But then once we got into Oregon, it was kind of getting a little bad at the border crossing. And um, I forgot where it was. We were a little bit after um, Asheville. Or was it Asheville? What's that? What's that? Uh, Ashland. Ashland. Um, yeah, we were a little after Ashland. And um, it was getting kind of smoky. And it was also the same time as PCT days. So we hitched up for PCT days. And then when we came back, or actually when we were hitching through Oregon, we went through like the, the heart of the smoke driving and we just saw how mm-hmm. bad it was. And then we went to go like hitch back down to like crater Lake, I think is where we were trying to make it to. And it was just, it was horrible. And it's just like, you, you get sick and tired of like, it, it just feels like it's like sunset or sunrise all day, which sounds cool, but like it gets kind of yeah. like it weird, just circadian rhythm. You're just like, what's going on? Um, <laughs> And then I think the smoke was probably like the worst that we like walked through is probably in, I want to say Washington, but yeah, I mean, I'm definitely very like, I, some of my friends like made fun of me because like I, me and Grant, uh, the kid I hiked Mm -hmm. with, um, had no interest in like really walking through the smoke. And obviously we're both big 
pot smokers. So everyone's like, you, you, you're fine with smokers. Like, yeah, we're very <laughs> particular with the type of smoke we like, but yeah, it was just, it wasn't worth it to me. I mean, I, I was out there to definitely enjoy myself as much as possible instead of like kind of prove anything or set any records or anything like mm-hmm. that. So I wasn't really too concerned with, you know, a continuous footpath in the shortest amount of time, which is appealing. I would like to do it eventually, but that wasn't really the goal for that trip. So it was just kind of, um, you know, let's skip ahead. We knew uh, up in Cascade Lakes that it was, uh, or Cascade Locks, that it wasn't too smoky. So we just decided to hitch up like, I think it was 45 miles before Mount Hood and just skip all the smoke. And we got through, I mean, it was a good thing we did. I mean, we got through the gorge area like three days before it burned real bad. Um, we got through like government camp, um, near Mount Rainier, like two days before it burned. So it felt like everything we were passing through was burning like two days behind us. So that was stressful, but you know, kind of just have to roll with the punches. Actually, I kind of have two questions off of that. One of them is how much of the trail do you feel like you need to go back and pick up again later? Or would you like to pick up later? Um, and then the second question is, yeah, go. And the second question is, sorry, no, that's okay. Uh, is did the fires and the skipping around mess with you mentally in terms of your hike and, and start, you know, is this really this, is it that? Um, I would say, yeah, no, it was, um, it's very frustrating to feel like you're forced off the trail, especially when we had like really tried to like, you know, toughen up and go through the Sierras with all the snow as it was. Um, yeah, you know, there's definitely like a lot of lame, like online chatter about what is a through hike and what's a, a long distance section yes. hike, the pride and ego that's involved with that. Um, I think it would have been a bigger, it would have, I mean, it, it definitely sucked to not be able to just keep going. I think it would have affected me more if that was more of my goal. I, I we all knew that like 2017 was going to be like a weird challenge of a year, go, like getting into it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, um, it, it definitely, I feel like people are definitely more prone to quit or leave early when they start flipping and skipping around because it, you, you lose a certain amount of like the romanticism and like the suspension of disbelief in your head that like, this is an epic journey that can only happen on my feet. And then you like hitch up 40 miles in like <laughs> 30 minutes. You're like, wait, what the hell? Yeah. yeah. So that's definitely weird. I mean, I, I definitely would like to do the whole trail again and try to do it a little bit more, like try to get continuous footpath, try to do it fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, i if I was going to just like clean up the, the rest of the hike, I would probably do honestly like Lassen to the border. Okay. I got sick like right after Lassen area. So that there's like, that's like kind of the first little Swiss cheese holes in uh, the second part of our hike. And then, you know, between just like the smoke and then wanting to catch up with friends or just like, it was just a little bit less treating I, I don't have any regrets on it. I mean, I, a mm-hmm. lot of people I say like kind of treat the trail like it's their boss where, you know, they have to put in their hours and it's like, you know, you're, yeah. you're out here making your own decisions. Like if you want to go skip up like 40 miles cause your buddies are there, skip up ahead. Like, are you going to, you know, spend the next week of your like life, like struggling to go faster and like not really enjoying 
the mo. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, the, the, the hike is long, but it's also short and it's supposed to be an enjoyable thing in my opinion. So, I mean, I, I of course, through hikes I always have, you know, challenges and discomforts, but overall it should be like a good experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Am I rambling too much? Am I, no, not nice at all. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> No, not at all. Like I said, I mean, this is about yeah, you know, hearing your stories from the trail, and and we'll get into gear and tech and all that kind of stuff in a minute. But um, I love just hearing stories from the trail. I mean, and last year was a pretty epic year between the fires and the snow and the melt, the snow melt. Yeah, the rivers were raging, and it was a little crazy. Yeah, definitely. It was. Um... You know, there was a lot of trail hype going into the series, and a lot of people didn't even see it for themselves. They just skipped up ahead, which, you know, was probably good for most people. I I wasn't as, like, nervous about the melt or the series just because I had, um, like, my first ever backpacking trip was the John Muir Trail in 2015. And I did mm-hmm. that um, solo as well, which probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. Like, my first backpacking trip ever was the John Muir Trail solo, but it worked out all right. And I started early though. It was like, I think I had like started on May 22nd southbound, but it was 2015. So it was a really snow, low snow year. Yeah. But every pass that I hit was covered in snow. I covered like, I crossed the San, I crossed one of, there's like the, one of the big drainages, um, right by, um, Muir Trail Ranch, where there's hot springs. Like, there's, it's not one of the rivers that you cross on the PCT or the JMT, but you, there's hot springs on the other side. So, like, I crossed a, a serious, like, you know, drainage mm-hmm. in 2018. And I just knew that, like, you know, I'm 6'3, 190 pounds, a lot bigger than most hikers. So, it's like, yeah. I should be okay. Grant's a little smaller. Grant's like, probably, I don't know how tall Grant is, but he's closer to probably like 510 and up probably like 130 pounds. So he was a little bit more nervous, but you just kind of, um, you know, if, if, the, if it was too intense where the, the, the trail cross, you just hike up or down, you know, a mile each way. And usually there's like talk on gut hooks or whatever about, you know, look for this crossing there or this crossing here. But I, mm. I loved the crossings. They, they, I like approached them as like the American Ninja Warrior. I was like, oh, challenge time. Here we go. <laughs> and I didn't fall or get hurt or anything. I, I didn't make the, the smartest decisions probably all the time, but it was fun. <laughs> now, were you hiking with – you were hiking with Grant the whole time, right? Yeah. So um, me and – Grant and I both were – planning on hiking with um styles um he's uh he's good you know on instagram i'm not sure okay. but uh so we both talked to him a little bit online and um he started a couple hours after us so grant and i just like happened to meet up um at the southern terminus he went the wrong direction like right off the bat and got lost and then came back to the monument while i was up there hooting and hollering, shooting some video at the monument. So that was just kind of happenstance. And then we just got, we got along well and ended up doing the whole thing. Oh, okay. So it wasn't a planned thing. It was, as you say, happenstance. Oh, got it. Okay. I think it was mostly just like, we both like to push miles when we're on trail, but then we like to chill in town and we both, you know, smoked a lot of weed. So that helped bond. Right. It was a community. 
Yeah, exactly. Safety meetings all the time. Always. <laughs> I, I mean, as you said, you're 6'3", 190. I mean, I could see like stream crossings and things like that, or even animal encounters out there. I could see if you were truly solo being a little nerve wracking and a little nervous. I mean, did it help to note with Grant there or you were feeling pretty good about it? Um, I mean, in terms of like the, tra- it's like, you're never really nervous. Like while you're walking, it's only like in camp, like we, we cowboy camps pretty much every night. So yeah, I saw like, that. <laughs> it's definitely nicer to have someone around you just for, you know, the like herd security mentality or whatever. But I mean, the trail is so popular that even if you're truly solo, you have to make like a serious effort to hike alone, camp alone. I mean, it's possible, but you just have to pick like not popular spots. But I mean, in terms of like animals, like I'm not really scared of bears. They just kind of like are big squirrels on the PCT. The, I mean, <laughs> grizzly bears. So it's just all like big scaredy cat black bears. Mm-hmm. I mean, mountain lions are probably the only thing I'm like really nervous about when I'm hiking by myself at like nighttime in Southern California. Right. At the same time, it's like, I don't know. I mean, I, I surf and sharks around. Those are just things that like, you think about it at the beginning, but you just, once you're comfortable in the environment, it just kind of, I don't know, you're, you're aware of it, but you don't really, you're not too worried about it. Right. I mean, rattlesnakes are like the most realistic danger. I feel like on trail in like Southern California, like they're just chilling by the trail a couple Mm -hmm. times. Yeah. I thought I saw heard in your videos that you really had, didn't have much snake encounters. We didn't um, on trail. I mean, I've had a lot of snake encounters um, on the PCT, not uh, during the through hike, just like going to hang out at Deep Creek Hot Springs. I almost got hit by um, a rattlesnake, like right where the trail meets the road. Um, there's just like a shady water area. But yeah, no, the snakes weren't the, I mean, the one time I had issues with snakes was, um, I think it was Belden. I remember I had gotten a hitch. Uh, like there's a place to get milkshakes like two miles down but um, I was talking to the local lady and she was like oh I'd love to do it but like I'm scared of the snakes I was like I haven't seen a snake in like a thousand miles like what are you talking about and then I camped <laughs> on like the banks and there was that rattlesnake chilling like four feet away from me the whole night so oh it stayed there the whole night well I ended up moving uh, ah okay <laughs> yeah I stayed there I stayed there two nights because I was waiting for a backpack to arrive and the first night I stayed in that spot and was completely unaware of any issues. I'm sure that snake was there just because I'm pretty sure that's like its spot. And then the second night I was in the same spot and I got up to like take a pee pretty much like right where I was sleeping, which isn't gross at all. But uh, I, I just like felt like a presence or whatever. So I turned on my light and it was just like two feet coiled up, like not aggressive or anything, but just like obviously right a, a hunting area. So I kind of just like toss them, sanded it from a far away and it like scurried off into a bush and I went back to sleep, which I'm surprised <laughs> I, being lazy. And then like, I was like kind of asleep 15, 20 minutes later. I'm like, eh, I should check that spot again. And I turn my light and it's just right there again. I was like, that's time to move. <laughs> but you tried to hang on to your spot. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I don't want to move. I mean, even though it's like cowboy camping, I was still, I was like, it's easy for me to move all my stuff, but yeah, you get pretty comfortable and lazy out there 
after a couple months. You and Grant both, I guess, were doing a lot of cowboy camping. Was that the plan for you at least, and maybe for him as well? Or did it just sort of evolve as you got out there and were like, you know, we really don't need to put this thing up? Um, that was, I mean, I only ever had a tarp to begin with. Um, and I'd done a fair amount of just like overnights in Southern California, just cause I'm based out of LA. Mm-hmm. So I, that was always kind of the plan for me in Southern California. And then it just kind of, once we got through the Sierras, still cowboy camping, it was just kind of like, well, if we can do that, we can pretty much do anything. Like we, we each bought like real cheap $40 Amazon Mylar, uh, bibbies right before the Sierra. Mm-hmm. That helped a little bit, but he he had a he had a tent to start off with, but I think he got rid of it probably within the first like four or five hundred miles, um, just because we were cowboying so much and his pack like shrank like so much from uh, the, the beginning like the first day mm-hmm. he had a forty five osprey with like a tent and a bunch of shit hanging off it and then by the end of it <laughs> just an Alante like teeny little pack so it was fun to see his. His, his kit definitely evolved. He he went through like three different packs, got like trying to figure it out. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, in terms of cowboy camping, yeah, I, I think it was always kind of my plan, but to be to start off with. But yeah, you just get real comfortable out there, and it's just so much nicer, like looking up at the stars, and you know you can peel your head out and see like an amazing sunrise for like a second, and go back to bed for thirty more minutes. It's just mm-hmm. a lot nicer. You guys seem to do a lot of very early morning get up and start hiking thing. That was totally grand. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He was just like, I would hear his like air mattress just like go. I was like, oh, here we go. And then, yeah, it was just kind of like we would wake up, break camp, and be hiking probably within like 10 minutes. And then after like three or four miles, then we'd kind of do a little bit of breakfast thing. But it was always just nice to. It's so nice to get like 10 by 10 miles in by 10 a.m. or, you know, 20 in before noon. And then you feel like you have the rest of the day to, you know, if you really want to push big miles, you have that option. If you want to take a little bit more relaxed and, you know, have a nice siesta somewhere, you can do that. But it's I mean, it's the prettiest time to be hiking. It's the like most comfortable time to be hiking in the desert. Sometimes if it's super hot, it's it's definitely a good habit to get into. And I'm not necessarily like a morning person, but mm-hmm. it's it's a lot easier to do it become a morning person on trail. I feel like sometimes, um, you know, if you're not rocking a nine to five Monday through Friday, you can wake up and just be like, what am, what am I doing? But when you're on trail, you're just like, you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm hiking today. Like, and you just, you know, they have to do it eventually. So yeah. better start sooner than later. And then once you're hiking, you know, it's all good. Now, you were doing like in the desert wise or specifically you were doing some pretty big mileage i mean 20 miles 20 mile days and so forth i mean racking up the the mileage definitely we had like an idea of like oh i'm gonna go so fast like at the beginning of the trip and um you know grant's like a cross-country ultra runner so he's capable of big (laughs) yeah um and then i i mean every like i was just hiking constantly before the pct not necessarily like trying to train myself, but I just like so antsy to get out there and being close by it in LA, there's tons of stuff to do. So mm-hmm. I was like in pretty decent hiking shape for it. And then we, I mean, our, our big mile day 
we did like a 50 mile day coming into Acton that was not planned at all. I think that the reason we, there was a couple of factors that played into that. One, we just like wanted to push big miles generally, but we woke up and it was a Saturday in the Angeles National Forest and we got trail magic breakfast at like 10 a.m. and then a trail magic lunch at like one. So we had like all the calories we could have <laughs> and then some, and, like plenty of beers along the way. Like I think I had six beers that day. And then we got up to a point where it's pretty much generally 30 miles downhill into Acton. And I think we had done 20 or so. And mm-hmm. um, uh, I had a hole in my air mattress and my girlfriend was going to pick us up in LA and take us back for a little bit. So it's like we could just camp here and have a miserable night or we can just like, push through this 30 miles, however long it takes. It's all downhill, whatever. Mm -hmm. And we can just get picked up in like the middle of the night. So we thought we were smoking a joint. We thought it'd be cool to do a 50 that early (laughs) pretty much. (laughs) And yeah, yeah, I think it was just like, yeah, we just had that mentality of like work hard, like chill hard. So it works out well for the trail. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you guys seem to slow down down i guess a little bit once you hit the sierras was that because of yeah. the snow and the hills and yeah that kind of thing and we like so after the 50 mile we took a double zero and that was kind of like maybe not the best like habit to fall into but we also were like thinking that because the, the snowpack every day that we give the sierras to thaw out is a good thing mm-hmm. so we definitely took like i think we took like four days off in kennedy meadows by accident um, we were going to leave after like two, but then our buddy style showed up and, um, we just ended up getting vortex there. I think Grant got sick a little bit before that. We hung out in, was it Ridgecrest or something for like a couple days, but yeah, so that we just kind of started slowing down with the daily mileage in terms of like taking a lot of the town days. And then, yeah, the Sierra slows you down in terms of the snow, the elevation, but mostly it's the mountain passes like you can't really do or it's not the best idea to do like some of the snowy mountain passes late in the day when um, the snow has become mushy and melty. Mm-hmm. So that kind of limits you. You try to hit your pass early and get to the next uh, pass or just below it to set yourself up for the next day. So, I mean, unless um, unless it's a snow free that that's kind of limits your Sierra mileage. I feel like either that was the biggest factor for us. I think you guys started around the middle of May, I believe May 10th, May 10th. Yeah. Was that the plan all along or was that based on the snowpack and wanting to give it a more chance to melt or. Yeah, no. Um, so originally I was going to start April 1st was like my thought process before, uh, the winter had hit, but then we were getting like the most epic winter, like back <laughs> ever. And I was like, oh. I, I was more people were like kind of dreading it, but once it was like going, I was like, I want more snow because I want the record. If like if it's if we're gonna do it, let's do it, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's you know if you're walking on top of ten feet or fifteen feet, you're walking on top of it, so it doesn't really matter. And also like I'd lived in California for think like four or five years all drought year or Mm -hmm. all like mega drought so it was just exciting that you know the state was going to have water and i I don't know i wasn't that worried about it but i definitely 
definitely pushed back my start date to uh, let the Sierras thaw out. And I definitely was like planning on like trying to average 30 miles a day. Um, so I was worried that I was going to get there too early. That didn't end up happening, which is fine. But <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, definitely started later because of uh, the high snowpack. Did you make that decision before you got all your permits or did you have, did you make that decision after you had gotten your permits and then had to change things or fiddle with them? Um, I think it was, no, cause we got our, per, uh, the permits were issued, I think in January in 2016, I think it's November now. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, but it was a little bit later. So, um, we were already aware that, you know, the snowpack was huge by that point. So yeah, when the when the permits were released, I just went for uh, May. Did you get the day that you wanted, or did you have to give them a couple of different dates and then landed on something? I got the day I wanted. I was just sitting in my office at that time, just like refreshing the computer, like <laughs> a panic attack. But I think the system went down because we overwhelmed, like everyone overwhelmed it, like at the, for the first five minutes. So like, you know, I was on the Facebook group and everyone was freaking out but yeah i think um yeah the permit day and then the getting my pack were getting my pack was more stressful than the permit day but that was kind of a similar thing because um i I used uh, the plante simple pack and it was like they release maybe like 50 at a time and then they sell out in like 10 minutes so like that was also another like kind of refresh 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 oh my god i got it thank god but yeah, those were two very stressful days. <laughs> so, okay, to, since you mentioned your pack, what was it? It's the Palante? Uh, Palante Simple Pack. Uh, Palante Packs. Uh, I think they're just Palante now, but yeah. It's uh, John Zahorian and uh, Andrew Benz's uh, company. Okay. Andy Benz. Uh, I haven't met Andy yet. I know John. Got it. Okay. And during the trip, you also got a second pack. Yeah, so they're you switched packs, maybe. A, they're a new company. Um, they're an ultralight backpacking company, or newish, I guess, at this point. But um, I had like the ULA Catalyst, which is like a sixty-five liter pack for the John Muir Trail, and I pretty much had like rebought all my equipment. Like I went from a synthetic bag to a down quilt, which saved a lot of space. I went from like a tarp to or a tent to a tarp, which saved a lot of space. So I was ready to kind of like downsize. And I'd seen John's pack um, on just like kind of a, a, a day trip. And I was like, oh my God, I want, I want that thing so badly. So I probably overstuffed it a little bit um, when we started. And um, their first, their like version one of their pack, um, there was like a lot of user error, I think, just because there wasn't, a whole lot of like stretch to the material and like if you're truly ultralight and you weren't overstuffing it there's no issues but a lot of people on through hikes are putting that extra bag of you know yeah patch kids or something so um between that and i also like to like run the downhill so i put a lot of wear and tear on it so they um they sent me a new pack like the same design but um trying out a different um, fabric, I guess, um, halfway through. And yeah, they, they sent me like a new pack for free. They, and yeah, they hooked it up. So I think their newer version, the V2, they, uh, I think the material is like seven times as strong as like the V1. So it's a lot more user friendly in, in that regard. But yeah, 
I, I love that pack. I still have it. And that, I think they released a couple around of the Dyneema Gridstop one, which is the second pack I got. So I'm very proud to have the original Dyneema Palante simple. You have a classic edition. Yeah, right. Totally. <laughs> now, and the pack that you were using was a, what, because it's the ultralight, so it doesn't really have a frame and... Did it have any uh, stays or anything in the back of it to keep no, it so It's totally, it was, um, God, what was it called? Um, I forget the fabric. Um, I know my grid stop one. I forgot what the other one was. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's essentially just like a long tube that like kind of rolls down and clips over. And I think it's like, I think the main body is like 32 liters and with all the side pockets, there's a front pocket, uh, two side pockets, and then their um, bottom pocket, which is the best thing in the world, makes it like 40 liters. So you're definitely limited on your space, and it really makes you make choices about like what you want versus what you need. But yeah, it's uh, it's so much more comfortable walking. Like when I did the John Muir Trail in the 65 liter pack, just stuff hanging off the edge of it, I'd be constantly like finding a big rock just to like lean back and take all the weight off my back Mm -hmm. with the other pack like my base weight no no water no food is like seven pounds so it's like i can run downhill like easily and yeah Yeah. it's it's way more comfortable and you know if it's more oriented for like comfort during the day versus comfort at night not that you have to be like uncomfortable at night but you're just not having no camp chairs or whatever you know right speaking of comfort at night did you have issues with getting cold i mean because i i watched your gear review at the very at the end of the the hike and Mm -hmm. you know you didn't really carry with you the the rain jacket and 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 wind pants rain pants and some of that other stuff that would have helped with heat (laughs) yeah the i think the only times i was ever uncomfortable at night was um maybe a night or two in the sierra when um we were just like camped by like lakes so you get all that condensation from just the the moisture which you know makes everything that much colder and then yeah i i definitely should have sent my sierra stuff up to northern washington i had gotten way too used to uh <laughs> like late summer northern california like Oregon-ish area, so yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely not nothing too extreme. Maybe maybe another layer or two in Washington, and then just picking better camping spots in the Sierra. But I mean, nothing too bad. Okay, what what were you using for a uh, sleeping bag or a, a bag? Um, I have uh, it's like a twenty degree uh, enlightened equipment quilt. Okay. I think I got the like mass drop version of it. Mass drop is just a site that you buy. You like, if you, if a certain amount of people agree to buy a certain product, they get a discount on it or whatever. Got it. So, and I think that I got like hydrophobic treated down. So it's not completely useless if it gets a little moisture on it. That worked out. That's one of my favorite pieces of equipment. I still have it. It's, super warm packs down to like almost nothing. I put it like, it's pretty much the first thing I put in my bag and then everything that goes on top of it even compresses it down more. Mm -hmm. So that's the, that's the biggest way to 
save space, I feel like, is um, getting a, a down sleeping bag or quilt. Quilt is like less material. It just kind of has an open back that kind of straps shut. But the idea behind that is that, you know, if you have a sleeping bag, you're lying on that back um, back fill or padding or whatever. So it compresses and it doesn't really give you any warmth value. Uh, so if you just have like a pad for that and then the quilt goes around the pad and that kind of works as a unit, it just saves you some space in your pack, like material wise. But yeah, that was, that was what allowed me to switch from like a 65 liter pack to like a 40 liter pack is just saving the volume. Cause I mean, I, I, I'm sure you've tried to pack down a synthetic bag and it just doesn't. It only goes so far. Yeah. Now you also, you also took an inflatable pillow with you, correct? The, I like love my, yeah. Yeah. That's like my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> I definitely, Got some shit for it just from like people because there's always, you know, the the broy ultralight, like, oh, you're soft for having this. I'm like, I don't care. I love my pillow. A lot of people try to like use like their food as like a food bag as a pillow, mm-hmm. which is, you know, super safe. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, the pillow's like, I mean, it was like 60 bucks or something, but uh, it never popped. It like kind of feels like a pillow, and it's just so nice to not have like your head like this against the pad. Yeah. I yeah. probably wouldn't go without my pillow. <laughs> well, you hear so many people talk about how bad their sleep is on the trail. Yeah. And I would say a part of that is because of the pillow. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. I mean, you definitely don't sleep as well as like, you know, if you have a big comfy bed, a lot of times, most people have the thermorust yellow pad and, either the they'll get like a tiny hole or a leaky valve or something so a lot of times it's like you get about three hours of sleep at a time and then you have to like blow up your thing or you have to move or something so you know it it is what it is but Mm -hmm. uh, you, you you definitely get more used to it and comfortable sleeping outside with what you have uh as you go along but it's definitely a long or it's it's definitely a trial by error like uh, process at the beginning of the trip. Like, uh, do I sleep on my face? Do I sleep on my side? Should, should I actually try to sleep on my back? It feels weird to sleep on my back. <laughs> you know, you just have to kind of play with it and see what works for you. Yeah. Now you had one of the blow up air pads. Yeah. And I think you had gotten a hole at some point. Yeah. But otherwise, it was good. And yeah. Um. So I got like a a hole early on in the desert. I think I just didn't do a good job of like scoping out where I was laying down my ground sheet, but it was an easy patch to fix. You just take it to submerge it under water, be it, you know, um, a bathtub in town Mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, A lot of times if you don't have something like that, you can just wet down your pad and then soap it up really good. And you can see kind of the soap bubbles from the area. And there's tons of like you, most of the thermorest or, other brands I'm sure come with like little patch kits when you buy it. Mm-hmm. I did like get a bit of a leaky valve, I think towards the end of it, which, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I hiked with like a closed foam or closed cell foam or whatever it is um, yeah. on the John Muir trail. And it's the, the inflatable stuff is just so much more comfortable. Even if you have like, you know, slight deflating issues, they're usually minor and you know, it's just, it's part of it. You, you deal with it. Yeah. 
I, did you ever think about possibly sort of resupplying or replacing the the mattress or the the air pad? They are one of like I think I got mine on sale for like eighty bucks, but they're usually like one hundred twenty or one hundred thirty bucks, and I was just like, it's Don't good enough to like not really necessitate or necessitate like going out and replacing it. I still have the same pad. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. still have it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's good enough. I mean, it's kind of comfy. Like if you blow it up all the way, and it's if it, I think I think I need to change my valve or something, but. It, it only slightly, so it gets like way more comfortable as the night goes, and then like eventually your hip touches, and you're like, all right, I gotta blow this thing up a little bit more, but it takes two seconds. Okay. Speaking of like the resupply or that kind of stuff, like what was, how was that process for you? Like, I know you had some issues at one point sending things forward through the postal service and stuff versus having resupply boxes come in from like home base versus just resupplying in yeah. the towns or whatever where you were stopping like food and tech and yeah so the the whole resupply thing is kind of like a double-edged sword whether you want to do um resupply boxes versus supplying in town i would definitely recommend doing boxes if you're like vegan or have any dietary restrictions but if you don't have any dietary restrictions i would like recommend not going the box resupply route um, except for like maybe a couple spots in the Sierras or there's a couple towns like Sierra city doesn't have much that if you, if you do like research online, there's definitely like certain towns that, you know, aren't great, Mm -hmm. but it's, you know, you, you have, you hear so many people that are relying on the boxes who have like kind of more of a, a rigid schedule because they don't want to get, to a town on like Friday night and have to wait till Monday morning for a box or something like you hear nightmares about that nightmares. Um, but like, yeah, it's, uh, it, that, that, that was the biggest reason I didn't do it. And then you're also, you know, the other reason to do it is the, the markups in some of the towns are expensive, but at the same time you can either pay a small markup or you can pay for the shipping. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you're not really going to save yourself. Yeah, I would say like 80% of the time, just resupply in town. Um, and then, you know, um, there's always like trail chatter uh, coming up on spots where like, oh, there's a 30-mile waterless section here or, oh, there's no food coming up for a while. Like you, you, you'll you hear about it in town. So just like, you know, talk with other people. And mm-hmm. there's certain towns you'll probably want to buy more food, make boxes, send them ahead. But for the most part, I got away with it without using boxes. And when I did use boxes, it can be a nightmare. So, you know. Getting there when you were supposed to. Having it getting there when it was supposed to. Yeah. And beating it by a day. And then, like, you're already hiking with a group of people and no one wants to wait for your yeah. box. So, you know, that's, yeah. Boxes are, yeah, it's just it's just too much. It's It's more outside force planning which is like the best part of through hiking is just being able to make your own decisions in the moment and go with it right yeah like hitting seattle and the spur of the moment and then bouncing back yeah just and you're not worried about yeah the boxes like um my buddy jupiter who um hurt his foot this year but he was going for the yo-yo he is like a box fiend but 
So he has like a very rigid schedule and that's how he likes to operate. So it's, it's, it's definitely a preferential thing. Like if you're very type a, if you're like the type of person who wants to plan like literally every mile of your hike, which is fun. Like a lot of people in anticipation, or, I mean, that's just a fun pastime is planning out like trips that you might even never do. It's like, Oh, I could do this, but like, I'll put that in like my like to-do list or whatever, but it's, yeah, it's just approach and style. I feel like more people, um, newer hikers kind of take that approach of trying to plan out everything. And then you hit the trail and you realize that like that kind of all flies out the window for the most part for most people from what I saw. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's like the PCT and the AT and all these like major established trails have such a, not only have they just blown up in popularity, but they have such a support system built in around and all the trail town, the locals know, like mm-hmm. you can, you can jump into like a PCT through hike with not that much planning in terms of logistics and be okay. You know, obviously there's physical dangers, but just logistic wise, right. yeah, I don't, I don't think that you really need to do that much planning anymore. Okay. Which is, I guess, good news, good news, bad news, depending upon your, your viewpoint. Yeah. But yeah, like what was what was your food choices like where were you going and do you feel like you were getting enough calories or do you feel like I mean cuz you're a bigger guy so yeah so i definitely lost i mean i started the trail probably like pushing 200 just cuz i'm like oh i don't need to diet like i'm just all going to burn off on trail <laughs> and then but by the end of the trail i was like i think i weighed 178 which was the first oh, time wow. under 180 since like high school so i mean you definitely like I mean, a lot of that is just not having access to like bread and beer probably for me, um, all the time. But, uh, I would say, okay. So food choices, like I usually start the day with either like the carnation, good start drink mix stuff, slam one of those, uh, oatmeal, coffee, hot cocoa mix kind of deal. And that would kind of I would usually do that maybe like three miles into our hike and then we'd push on and usually go for about three more, four more hours till we do lunch. Lunch. I usually like to, um, really got into, uh, the little terrible open tuna packets, um, with mayo, uh, a tortilla <laughs> okay. and an avocado. I was like really good. I would try to buy good fats like, and <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. That's my, that's my favorite lunch. But, um, I would like to, I, I always would try to buy like a ripe avocado and then like a very unripe avocado. So it kind of lasts because I don't know, those are just having something green is nice. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, snacked really hardcore throughout the whole thing in terms of um, beef jerky, uh, Sour Patch Kids. Summer uh, sausages seem to be popular. <laughs> summer sausages. So that was kind of like my dinner would always be like a summer sausage, cheese, if we could get a fire going, kind of melt that, get it all heated up more. I, I would just buy like can like big things of mayo and then just dump mayo on that. And that was usually pretty good. I would always try to have like a little bit of a uh, hot chocolate and whiskey at night too, which is nice. Um, whenever, whenever I could plan that out, uh, a comfort drink. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people like to go stoveless, um, I, I like to, I love hot coffee. I, I think that warm meals and drinks mm-hmm. are a big morale booster out there. 
Um, so I, I definitely carried a little stove, but that's definitely a real popular trend nowadays is people going stoveless and cold soaking in their Talenti uh, ice cream uh, containers or whatever. Yeah. It's not for me, really. Uh, uh, another real popular trail meal is the ramen bomb, which is just ramen with um, mashed potatoes or, you know, whatever thrown in on top of it. Uh, it was always good. Yeah, but never getting enough calories ever. <laughs> always always going ham in town and eating as many cheeseburgers and whatnot. So, um, yeah. But that's the beauty of it. You can, like rediscover your like childhood love of McDonald's or Twinkies or (laughs) crap, you know? Um, but yeah. When you were on the trail, did you have issues with, uh, like morale where you were like, Oh my God, I am so done with this now. I, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go home or, you know, getting back on the trail after a zero day was difficult or. Yeah, I would say, um, the, the the closest I ever got to like wanting to leave trail and go home was probably when I was sick um, in Mount Shasta. And I think that was just from being so just drained from, cause I, I'm pretty sure I got Giardia. So I was, there was lots of fluids coming out of everywhere. <laughs> you were dehydrated. Yeah. Very dehydrated. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Very dehydrated, but like not really kind of understanding how the dehydration was affecting my outlook where I was just like, I'm just so drained. I don't want to be here. Like, what am I doing? And then it also felt like I'd never had Giardia before. So I was like, is this going to feel like this for like two weeks? Is this like, you know, I'm already almost or over a thousand miles into this thing way longer mm-hmm. than I've ever hiked before. Is this like good excuse to leave the trail? You know, like without feeling like I failed or whatever. But um, as soon as I got, the IV of like Zofram, which is anti-nausea and just like fluids in me. I was like, Oh, I feel great. I want to be on trail. So yeah, as long as I was feeling well, I'd always want to be on trail. I also got rid of like my apartment and like my liquidated my whole life, like in LA. So Mm -hmm. I knew that it would be like, I could either stay on trail and like keep it simple or get off trail and like make, get it real complicated. And I knew that I'd be like, oh man, I knew I'd regret it and want to be on trail as soon as like I got bored with like town food or whatever. But yeah, I would say that was the closest. And then towards the end of the hike, you know, it's still Washington is a nice pick me up at the end just because it's so beautiful, but you're, you know, exhausted and you want to stay out there, but you're also ready to be done. But you know, it's once you get done with California, everything feels short because that's like 1700 miles. You're like, Oh, Oregon. I mean, not that I <laughs> like that's forge miles, Washington forge miles. That's nothing like it feels like it moves pretty quick towards the end of it. Yeah. So, so you didn't really have to, I guess, depend on mental fortitude in that respect or like really push yourself to get back out once you got rehydrated and all of that kind of stuff. And you didn't really have issues with it. Otherwise, I feel like I was more just like itching to get back out. Um, going. There was just more anxiety of like, man, I really don't want to fucking have, I'm sorry, I don't know. I think that's the first F-bomb I'm dropped, which is pretty good. That is. Uh, I was like, I really don't want to just have like diarrhea on trail and be miserable and be mm-hmm. like far away from, you know, help. But um, never had too many. I, I took enough time off where I didn't have any issues with that. It was just, just being bored on trail. 
I think the the smoke was definitely more of an issue of like like is this done? Like what's going on with this? Like do we just skip ahead? That's those um, those decisions that are kind of forced on you can be a little confusing and you know. But if you just kind of we we just kind of rolled with it and you know you have an acceptance of stuff you can't control and yeah it is mm-hmm. what it is yeah. So I have actually two questions from that. They're completely unrelated, but the first one is you getting sick in Giardia. What do you, what happened or what do you think happened? Oh, so that was just me being, um, an arrogant dickhead. Uh, you get real used to, uh, not filtering in the Sierra because ah. um, anything above 10,000 feet, there's not really a lot of like, you're above tree line. There's not a lot of animals. You're pretty safe to, uh, drink it. And I love like, putting a cup in the stream and just drinking it and feeling like a mountain man, like I am nature, nature. <laughs> and then uh, I got to Northern California and you drop seriously in elevation. So there's a lot more like animal poop everywhere. Who knows what it is? Cows. Cow. It, there's just a lot more stuff in the water. And mm-hmm. I was just like, Oh, I'm good without filtering. Uh, I know people who claim to never filter. I'm like them. I'm good. And then I <laughs> had the reality check real, real hard and fast. But yeah, I still am not the best with filtering, but whatever. <laughs> I feel like I'm working on my hobo stomach. Something that will get you through anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other question that I had was, was about like the time. I mean, I think in total you took four months because of the skipping through Oregon, though it probably could have taken you up to five months or whatever. Yeah. Like, did you just take that time off of your job? Because I think you're a first AD at this point. Yeah, so I worked freelance as a first AD and just other minor production stuff in LA. So yeah, I just uh, I knew that um, after the John Muir Trail hike in 2015, I wanted to do the PCT. So I had kind of like two years of like obsessive planning. I was really depressed when I wasn't able to do it in 2016. So um, yeah, it's pretty much just like, squirreling away like instead of going to the movies or out to the bar or something just like squirreling that money away for the hike Mm -hmm. and then also like liquidating my life like i sold my car right my roommate like left la so i was able to sell everything in the apartment like the the couch the, the fridge like literally everything so um it was just a matter of like getting a big enough nest egg i still had to probably borrow like maybe a thousand dollars from my parents towards the end of the hike because everyone's balling out of control in the first 700 miles and then like <laughs> broke as hell for the rest of it. But uh, yeah, it was just, um, I knew that I was going to take that time no matter what. I think I probably started, the hiking probably started for me um, as a reaction to like office life and just like mm, being yeah. like probably pictures on Instagram of like my friends and like local mountains and just be like, Oh, you can just go there. Like, that's crazy. So I always knew that I didn't really care about the ramifications from work. And honestly, they weren't going to be that bad because you're freelance. It's I'm freelance. It's like, I got a project for three months on a project. So right. the, the filming was also kind of an excuse to me. Like I'm not totally taking time off I'm <laughs> working on a, a project. So um, I'd be creative. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that, that was, that was nice, but, um, yeah, it's, I think, uh, I think I had it easier than most in terms of, um, like 
coming back from trail, like a lot of people are either younger and haven't really started their career path or just getting done with college or doing this instead of college. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a lot of people who are at the end of their careers. So it was nice to be able to be freelance to kind of just like plug back in with like my creative uh, group of friends that I work with. So yeah, that wasn't as big of an issue for me. How much, how much do you think that it took you or cost you? I should say, I don't know exactly. I haven't like done the math completely, but I think it was probably like six and a half thousand dollars for, you know, it was about four and a half months of living. So if you take that cost of living over that uh, time, it doesn't seem as bad. Yeah. I probably could have definitely saved money by utilizing more of like, um, I, I, we, we stayed in a lot of motels, um, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, we both liked that just cause I needed like the power and the space to edit just to like focus. Um, a lot of the trail towns have like kind of a hiker hangout spot. That's usually free or next to free, whether it's like a church lawn or backyard or whatever the trail angel of the area you're in. I could, I could have utilized that more if I wanted to save more money. I don't really regret spending the money that I did. It's definitely nice to indulge yourself in town and kind of recharge yourself mentally and physically. But yeah, and then I could have definitely saved a lot of money uh, not smoking as much weed, but I probably wouldn't want to hike if that was the case. So <laughs> so, so the 6000 the 6, is that inclusive of the gear and all of that stuff? Or is that literally just from the time on the trail? I think that's just time on the trail. I think um, all the gear, I, I pieced it together over like two years. So it never, I never really felt that hit um, mm-hmm. of it all together. Right. Yeah. It was pretty much like, I think I spent like 200 bucks on my pack, like 270 on my quilt, which were probably two of the bigger things, but those were bought like, I think those were two of like my final things. And um, yeah, it was just kind of like, one one big piece of gear a month um just to keep it with everything in budget right but i think what my gear probably cost altogether maybe around a thousand dollars between like all the layers and i spent like Mm -hmm. 200 i spent a lot of money on a ghost whisper jacket uh uh, a down hood or hooded jacket that was probably not as necessary as i thought but you know what would you have used instead I mean, I, it was a great piece of gear. It's just expensive and not yeah. the most, uh, durable. Um, I would love to try like everyone's favorite like Melanzana hoodie. That's impossible to get right now. It's um, a company out of Leadville that uh, the hiking community has like gone bananas for, and they don't even sell um, the. Uh, they don't. They they used to sell them online. They don't. They just have their store in Leadville, Colorado now. <laughs> so. It's like now people like just like anyone who's in Colorado, like I know my friends are like, can you get me a hoodie and send it to me? It's yeah. Yeah. They're, they're pretty popular. <laughs> wow. Okay. Good to know if you're ever in Leadville, Colorado. Everyone calls them their Mellies. Mel- oh, okay. Now I'm making the connection. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything that you wish you had had with you that you didn't, or I guess you probably got rid of anything that you didn't need as you went along, but so is there any, so is there anything I wish that I, I had that I didn't? Yeah. Hmm. Um, 
I mean, I would love like a like a Z-Pax Hexamid tent, but I don't want to drop like $700 on it. And again, I prefer cowboy camping, but I mean, there's definitely like upgrades of like gear that are just like, it would be nice to have, but mm-hmm. like every, everything that's like top of the line is super crazy expensive and ultralight backpacking. So, right. So, so what you had worked. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's anything in my mind that it was sticking out that I would like to get there, like to have that I didn't. Okay. In your videos, you had made a mention at some point, actually, I think it was in your gear review, where you were talking about uh, while you were hiking, you were listening to a lot of podcasts and and things like that. Was that just a standard to kind of keep you occupied or or did Um, you also do a lot of not listening to stuff and just hiking? Yeah, so um, I definitely listened to a lot of podcasts just in my daily life. Um, It was kind of a habit that um, I keep up with, but it's definitely nice to listen to like longer form podcast or audiobooks or something while you're hiking. Because I mean, as beautiful and as everything is, you know, you kind of get into a moving meditation and, um, it's, I've got ADD, so it's nice to just like have something to stimulate my brain while I'm going through. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of people have like kind of a purist attitude and where they don't want to listen to any music. They want to fully commune with nature, which I expect and get. Yeah. uh, I just, I, I think, I don't know if I would say I would get like bored, but it's just nice to have the option to kind of break it up. And then I also, it probably started just because a lot of my hiking kind of started more solo. So there's nothing better than if you're camping by yourself and kind of freaked out to listen to a podcast. Like, oh, yeah, there's other people by me. I'm not alone. I'm, I'm totally safe. Um, the world is out there. Yeah. So I probably got the, or started the habit just from mm-hmm. hiking alone all the time. But, yeah, it's just nice to break up the monotony of, you know, birds chirping, which is beautiful. Yeah. But-, <laughs> but how many birds can you actually listen yeah, to chirp? Exactly. How connected is the trail at this point? Like, I know you had you had a couple of pictures of people, like 15 people just stopped on the trail looking at their phones and... Oh, connected in terms of like... Phone. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally connected. I mean, there's parts of the Sierras that you'll go like 10 days-ish without service, which is nice uh, to mm-hmm. have like places in the world this close to where you live where you can kind of like... I mean, that's, that's one of my favorite parts of um, hiking is... Um, at working as an AD, you know, I'm on call. People call me all the time. I'm responsible to everyone on the set. And it's so nice yeah. to, like, go somewhere where no one can call me if they want to. I can return calls when I get service. But I like that aspect of it. But in terms of the actual uh, connectivity on trail, I mean, everyone likes to hate on social media and, you know, <laughs> wild and this or that. Mm-hmm. But it's just, you know, it's it's the day and age that we live in. I obviously like social media. Uh, yeah. But, you know, there, there are times where it gets almost, like, comical when you have, like, four hikers out doing an Instagram story of, like, an overlook where it kind of, like, feels like a tourist trap for a hot second. But at the same time, you know, everyone's kind of aware of it and self-deprecating for the most mm-hmm. part. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see it might bothering someone 
like let's say someone's not carrying a phone, like there are people that like don't carry any technology. Mm-hmm. I could see that being obnoxious to them, seeing like trying to find a place to escape that. But if you want that experience, you know, go hike the CDT southbound or something. <laughs> you're you're going to have to hike something that's less popular, basically. Yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty much. And that's also a whole big thing in the trail community. But, you know, it's like everyone has the right to go out there and have access to the trails. It's like mm-hmm. long as, as long as they're practicing, leave no trace, like hike right. faster or slower or go southbound. Like there's, there's plenty of options to find your solitary tech free wonderland of a hike to find your Zen. Yeah, exactly. What did you do for your feet? Um, not much trail runners, I, I hiked uh, the John Muir Trail in boots, and uh, I had, like, a climbing balm salve that I wiped on my feet every night, and I still got, like, some blisters, but after that hike, I switched to trail runners, just find a pair that are real comfortable, and then, yeah, not much. I, I don't really... I think I had a little bit discomfort um, when I switched from the Lone Peaks to the Ultra Superiors, but I was wearing, I think, a half size too small. Okay. But, yeah, I think just the most important thing is to, before you hit the trail, find, like, um, a make a model of shoe that you like. Wear, wear them a lot. Get, like, your, your, your gait used to whatever that shoe is. And then buy, like, five or six pairs and keep them mm-hmm. consistent. Um, I know there are... I hiked a lot before I started the trail, so I didn't have a lot of issues with my feet getting bigger. A lot of times if people okay. aren't hiking a lot, like certain muscles develop, just they, a lot of people can go like jump up a half size or a full size. So might not be the best idea for less experienced hikers, I guess, or mm-hmm. people who aren't hiking, you know, multiple times a week to buy a shoe, but, or uh, the same size of shoe. Right. But, I mean, that's easy with, uh, like, Amazon Prime or something. Between Amazon and and REI? Yeah, exactly. The only problems with those, like, Amazon or something is, like, everything is so cheap that resupplying when you have to do it, like, in a store, like, a a shoe. Like, I'm used to paying, like, 70 bucks for a pair of shoes on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And then you go to the store and it's, like, 120. You're like, well. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, sometimes you're paying for convenience and a lack of a headache and less sore feet. Yeah. Now you, you had to swap your shoes out or your shoe type out. Was that just because the shoes wore out faster than you were thinking they would? Or was that always going to have to be something you were going to do? That was always going to be something I had to do. Um, I was wearing the previous season's Lone Peak. Um, I think it was the 2.5. They, there was like a big switch in the designs between the Lone Peak 2.5 versus the 3.0. Mm-hmm. ultras are really known for having a wide toe box and it was kind of condensed in those ones. So I loaded up, I bought as many pairs of the 2.5s as I could. And then there was, I couldn't find them anymore. So it was just kind of like seeing what other people were wearing and what was the cheapest option. But it was pretty much all came down to like, what was the cheapest option after that? So superiors were the easiest, cheapest option for me to get. Yeah. I probably a half size too small, for the last pair that I wore on trail, but um, I'm wearing the the same style. The I think it's a Superior 3.0, just a half size 
bigger. That's the shoe that I'm hiking around in right now. So, and it's no problem. Yeah, it works perfect. So, yeah, just finding finding your shoe. As it always is, I think. Yeah, everyone's a Cinderella. <laughs> yes, Princess in the P. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's true. Now, if I remember correctly, the the Alta shoes or trail shoes have clips for gaiters, and then you were using the Dirty Girl gaiters, I believe. Yeah, so I. I saw everyone rocking the Dirty Girl Gators in 2015 on the PCT. So I was like, oh, I have to get those. Everyone has them. Mm-hmm. And I, I started using them, but I, I kind of stopped using them pretty quickly just because I like to untie my shoes and take them off pretty much every time I take a break. And um, the Gators are nice if you to keep pebbles and sand and whatever out, but... I didn't notice a significant difference between using them and not, and just the ease of taking them on and off. I ended up not using them, but yeah. Okay. I think most of the ultra uh, shoes have that like gator trap in the back, the Velcro thing, which, Mm -hmm. you know, is nice if, if you like it, but um, you know, I think it's just another thing for it to be specific to trail running and like cool, but it's not super necessary. Got it. How, what did you do for for socks? Um, I wore darn tough. They're like the oatmeal quarter inch cushion hiking socks or whatever. Darn tough. I I would say they're probably like it's it's in Jinji and darn tough are the two most popular sock brands on trail from what I saw. In okay. are the um, the toe socks that have the individual mm-hmm. and people like that because it prevent helps prevent blisters or so they say. I've never used them. I'm sure they work great. People really love them for, I see a lot of people walking in, in Gingies with um, bedrock sandals is kind of a new thing. Fun, fun stuff. Trail fashion galore. Exactly. But uh, yeah, the Darn Tufts are nice just because they have um, a lifetime warranty on their socks. So a lot of places, the resuppliers, you can, if you have a hole in your sock, um, you can just turn it into the resupplier and they give you a free pair. Oh, nice. Okay. The whole um, resupply deal. So, yeah, Darn Tufts are pretty great for that. Because I'm assuming you only had a couple of pair of socks with you in your pack. Like two pair at a time. I probably went through, okay. probably went through like maybe four pairs of socks or something. They're, oh, okay. They're pretty tough. <laughs> Hence the name. Mm-hmm. Did you, were you washing them whenever you got to water sources and things like that? Or were you kind of just wearing them into town and then washing them in town? Yeah, wear them into town and then just, uh, everyone pretty much does their laundry in bathtubs and motels. Mm-hmm. The darn tops definitely like, they're a little thicker. So like, I felt like I had to hand wash them like inside, outside, like two or three times for them to get really like all the grit and dirt out of them after walking for like a week in them but yeah it was just a matter of like just get real dirty on trail and then you know go into town i don't know how those like i honestly think that anyone that like hosts hikers should have like free laundry services just for their pipe's sake because like every hiker (laughs) washes their stuff in the bathtubs and i can't imagine how where all that dirt goes but you know yeah hikers you know we we're we're good and bad um in terms i mean i feel like there are, there is some, I feel like I'm transitioning here, but I was just going to talk about like, uh, hikers and trail people or trail or town people mm-hmm. or just how like, um, towards like the, like once, like if you're in the herd, like the main pack of like hikers, 
there's obviously been a fair amount of people that have come through town before you. So a lot of these towns are like really small. And um, when the hikers come through, it's like, it's obviously both a huge financial boon, but it's also like, we're like an invasion of locust. Like we come in and we just like take all the resources and it's a bit overwhelming. So you can notice yeah. like definitely some hiker fatigue from town people, which is like, I always just try to be on like my best behavior. Like I'm, if I'm in town, like I try to act like I'm in someone's living room just cause you know, it's, you're not just representing yourself. Like one bad hiker experience with uh, a town can like really do some serious damage. Yeah. It turns people off to being helpful. I don't know how I transitioned into that, but yeah. No, I mean, it's actually, it's actually good. And it makes me ask the question or begs the question, trail angels and trail magic, you know, because that's sort of part of that entire experience. Mm -hmm. Just generally talk about it. Yeah. Like talk about it. And, and you had certainly some experiences with it along the way. Yeah. I, Trail angels are the coolest people in the world. Uh, trail magic is everything. Like I'm finding a soda in like the middle of nowhere. It feels like yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's like your birthday and Christmas all put together. It's it's insane how much like little things can be like the best thing in the world out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a lot of times if you're meeting like all the trail angels have some sort of connection to the trail, be it just physical location to where they live. A lot of people are former through hikers or have family members that have through hikes. So it's kind of nice to see. It's just really cool when you're out there hiking, seeing like the first couple times where you get that like um, random crazy help from strangers is definitely one of the, the things that is like, you know, very, affirming like life affirming where it's like oh not everyone sucks people are generally good and like you just meet them in the right context that's i mean everyone goes out there for like the landscapes but everyone like sticks around for the people because like all the hikers you're meeting you're having like a shared experience where like oh i'm doing this crazy like thing with my life and so are you we're best friends and then right. run into people who want to support you and who know what you're doing you're just like oh my god I love people like this is amazing versus like when you're usually dealing with people, it's like, unless they're good family or friends or family, mm -hmm. like you're like, what's, what's the gist here? Why, what, what, like, what do you want from me? Right. Which is not yeah. the best way to approach people if you don't want to become cynical and hate them. So yeah, trail angels are awesome. Um, I did a fair amount of trail angeling this year. Okay. I just took uh, my van up, um, uh, up the two, which is just north of uh, Los Angeles, where the trail goes like past Baden Powell and all that area. So I would do, I would make like breakfast burritos for people um, <laughs> come in. I think it was Little Jimmy Campground, and it's just so awesome to see people like the hikers' faces light up. Like originally, they're just like, "Why is this guy in a van yelling?" At <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, you have soda and food for me. I love you." And then like you just have a really awesome like. I feel like it's almost like speed dating where I'm like, where are mm -hmm. you from? What are you doing? I love you. You're my best friend. All right. Hit the trail. And then like, I don't know. It was, it was just the next one comes up. What's it? Yeah, exactly. It, it's just fun. Um, yeah. Especially for that. I would like feed since it was two miles from a campground, I would feed them all in the morning and then they'd go off. And I just felt like a mom sending her kids off to school. I'd be like, they grew up so fast, but 
Um, I mean, it's awesome because I, I saw those people for the first time down in Southern California. And then uh, I helped out at the Andersons, Casa de Luna, which is my favorite trail angel place. They've been doing it for hosting hikers for 20 years. They do like pancakes in the morning and taco salad at night. And it, they call it hippie daycare. It's just the coolest place ever. So like I would see people like, you know, a couple of weeks later working out there. So like I get to see faces like from a trail angel perspective, you get to see kind of the same faces cycle through and it's all mm-hmm. like seeing the finishing photos of people posting all the time right now. I'm like, Oh, they made it. Yay. Like it's, it's right. cool to kind of stay connected. Um, it's just part of like the whole trail community is like, you know, the best community in the world. <laughs> this day and age, we're all about, as you kind of were saying, like we're so insular. Mm-hmm. And when you're out on the trail, you're sort of putting your life in somebody else's hands and being, yeah. you know, help me, help me get from here to there, help me find food, help me get across the stream. It's not even, I feel like it's not as much like help me. It's like, I need to do this. And there are people that are just there that want to help me. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, everyone like hikers, like look out for each other, especially like coming into the Sierras, like, yeah, it's it's just nice to like know that you're being seen and heard by people, which a lot of people can with all the technology that we can put in front of our. Yeah. It's nice to like, yeah, have real interactions and like you you become best friends with people in days out on trail and like maintain the what that's the like the upside of like social media is like you can maintain these in in a sense maintain relationships mm-hmm. with people. Across like all over, I, I know people like all over the country, like cool young people who like to do outdoor stuff all over the country. So it's like, oh, all I need to do is drive to Colorado, drive to Yosemite. I've got friends that work in like all the national parks, which is, it's. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. You've got your hook up in Leadville? <laughs> I, I, one of my buddies, I, I like, I, <laughs> I need to like purchase it, but yeah, I've got, I've got, I think Grant is uh, still in Colorado. He's just been living out of his truck doing ultra marathons and bagging like 14ers and making me feel old and fat. <laughs> Did you end up with kind of a, a trail family? Cause you were with a lot of the same group of people all the way up or did, did it sort of work through California? And then when you got to Oregon, it all kind of got messed up or everybody went their own. Um, I mean, Grant is definitely trail family numero uno, just cause we did the whole mm-hmm. thing together. Um, we would like, hike with different kind of groups of people for maybe a week or two at a time. And then for whatever pace reason or whatever, you kind of drift apart, which, you know, is, it's not like a hard, ugly, everyone knows like, Oh, you know, we're all kind of on our own trip. If we happen to like pass by each other. Yeah. Right. But like, you don't need to have the responsibility of like, Oh, I need to wait for this person or that. But yeah, it's, that's the best part is like, it's nice to have like at least one or two people to be like consistent. And then you have like, you, you create like a real tight relationship with uh, other people in town or on trail. And then you don't see them for a month. And then for let's say fire reasons or flipping or whatever, you cross past them again, Mm -hmm. like the best reunion ever. Like I think the best trail family experience we had was um, coming out of uh, just past like Mount Adams. There was like, a huge group of southbounders who had flipped up to the uh, uh, terminus and coming southbound. And then mm-hmm. I think there was like 10 of us still going northbound that had just like congealed together for the first time in like 500 miles. 
And then we like came together and it was just like, there's like all of a sudden 25, like good friends. Everyone knows everyone, everyone, one person in our group and one person in their group had uh, practiced uh, ukulele uh, harmonica songs together. So Mm -hmm. they did like a little, little, uh, they played a song for us, like with this mountain backdrop. And it was just like, so crazy that like, one of the guys is in our group going northbound. One of the guys in their group going southbound. And they just like cross up to like put on this show for all of us. And then we just keep going. And it's just like, th- th- I feel like that was like the best PCT moment where you're just like, it's all about like the people, the culture, but you also have like Mount Adams just sitting right back there and like, you're just in it. So yeah, I don't know. I have it. It's just, it's good stuff. <laughs> it was that moment that sort of, it, it's, it was almost consolidated like, everything. Like this is almost like, it, like if I saw this in a movie, I'd just be like, "This isn't real." <laughs> it would never happen that way. Yeah, but yeah, it was pretty cool. So I, I kind of just wanted to circle, you know, kind of full circle, and just make sure that there wasn't anything like gear wise or tech wise or something that we've missed talking about. Because I think we've talked about feet, food, tent, sleeping bag. I think. Um... Only other thing I would want to talk about is just like I, I've talked about how like awesome the culture on trail is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that culture can get kind of toxic and poisonous when it like transfers onto online uh, mm. forums. And there's a lot of like, there's a, I mean, there's just like a lot of like young bros on trail, which, you know, I love my bros. I'm not hating on them. But um, there can be some just like ego chest pumping. And it's like, at the end of the day, no one gives a shit about your hike except for you. I mean, people like your hike or whatever, but like, it really doesn't matter to anyone but you how you approach it or how many miles you did or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the comp- it shouldn't be a competitive thing. I mean, unless you're going for a record, which I totally respect people that do that because it's insane when you know what goes into it. But just for your average through hiking people, it's just like, don't take yourself too seriously. You're out there to have fun. Don't compare yourself to anyone else's hike. And if someone's being an asshole, just slow down or speed up and just don't worry about it. Like, I don't know. There's, there's a huge kerfuffle. I feel like on online uh, during the, it's always the off season. It's like people (laughs) this and like start like typing up venom online. And it's just like, I don't know. Don't get caught into that if you want to get into the through hiking community in life because that's that's the biggest cancer we have in the community. I feel like right now, everybody has or certain people have very strong opinions about what is or isn't a legitimate through hike, yeah. and then they sort of poison the well for everybody else's experience. And it's like even the people like those people that have very strong opinion on like what specifically is through hike. My opinion on them is like you're not wrong. You're just an asshole. It's like, like I get it, but like you don't need to put anyone else down. If someone wants to claim something that's not true, whatever. Like, I mean, I guess mm-hmm. still, like the whole Stacy Kozel thing is a little bit extreme, but like, I feel like that, I don't know if you're familiar with that story. I'm not. Oh. I'm not. So, uh, in 2017, um, there's a, a through hiker, Stacy Kozel. Um, she has, um, some form of, uh, disability where she doesn't have full use of her legs, but she has like these exoskeleton support things that help her walk. And she had claimed to do a full through hike. And it was later proved that she like kind of made up the whole thing. Okay. So that's kind of an extreme version Mm -hmm. of the story, but like 
if you're out there doing it, it's just like, I don't know, just, just don't be an asshole. Don't worry about it. And just try to like enjoy yourself. Cause no one cares. Right. <laughs> Respect everybody's journey. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, yeah, totally. Cool. Cool. Thank you so much, Nick. Where can people find you or where, where would you like people to find you? So, um, yeah, I've got my YouTube channel, uh, Nick went hiking just has like PCT videos and, uh, some other just local smaller trips on it as well. Okay. I also have it posted uh, on Amazon. If you search Nick went hiking on Amazon, uh, it's on the Amazon prime video. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, so you cool. Yeah. You can watch it there. You can watch it on YouTube. I post a bunch of stupid stuff on Instagram all the time. Also Nick went hiking. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And, and what's next for you? Um, right now, I'm just uh, in L.A. working on uh, as many film productions as possible. I'm kind of toying around with a lot of ideas. Uh, I really want to do um, some of as many of the Cascade volcanoes as possible next year. I also want to hike the AT next year, and I also want to get my van out to Hawaii and just live in Hawaii. But I want people to do all those things, hopefully like one of them but yeah just uh just uh, for now i mean i'm going to yosemite this weekend so mm-hmm. that'll be fun that will be fun it'll be yeah. beautiful up there yeah hopefully hopefully another big through hike next year but uh okay. you know you got for all the uh stars align in terms mm-hmm. of finances and all that jazz but um yeah i mean if i had the cash i'd be out there right now <laughs> out there hawaii or out there through hike uh i'd probably like try to go do um my buddies are doing the Hayduke Trail soon. Um, I want to do lowest to highest uh, from Badwater Basin to Whitney. Mm-hmm. Um, just a lot of little little trips. I want to do the Arizona Trail. I want to, yeah. I just wish I had a bajillion dollars and I could just hike for the rest of my life. A bazillion but, dollars and all the time in the world. Yeah. Well, if I have a bazillion dollars, I get all the time in the world. But, <laughs> but in the meantime, it's all about the decisions. Yep. got to got to... Can't win every battle, so yeah, we'll figure it out. Just uh, save up some money and keep my options open. Speak a little louder. And when he finds ourselves wishing that we could make a bigger change, find a better way. Show notes and links for Nick's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Nick for sharing his stories from the trails and Maya Wynn for use of the song Try Again. I would love to hear about your trail stories as well. Please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. I'll see you on the trail.